Well, good morning, church family. And it is good to say that, church family, and not wonder if somehow the rug might be pulled out from our relationship. It is a beautiful thing to have the presbytery hurdle behind us. I know that may not make much sense to you about what all that is, but together we can collectively just sigh and say, thank the Lord that it's behind us. That's how I feel. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series of considering the hymns of the church, the songs of the church. And I could give the microphone to you, and many of you could, could give this same scripture intro, this series recap, because you've heard this. But there are some who are visiting, or maybe only now paying attention, and so I'll summarize it all this way in, in these little nuggets, and that is that we know that song has the power to strengthen our memory. Put something to a tune and we can remember it. And you could therefore remember things not worth remembering just because it has a tune to it. Or you could use that, the church could use that to help us to remember true things. Things that we believe and things that we need to believe when some of the storms of life become true in our own lives. And so hymns, for that reason, are a treasure to the church. And really, more than the hymns are the psalms, the God-given songs of praise in the Bible. And today is a good day in this series because it's taking truths from a psalm, Psalm 91, and putting it in the tune of a hymn poetically to bless us, to help us to remember the nearness of God. Um, when I was a child, one of my favorite candies was a candy called Now and Laters. And I don't know if anybody else knew or liked Now and Laters, but as an adult and in thinking about this series, there is a Now and Later relationship with truth and with hymns. You see, they help us to experience it now, but if you hide those gospel truths in your heart, you will have them later when you have nothing else to stand on, nothing else to undergird you in the midst of hardship and in the midst of a storm. And, and that's really what I'll share with you briefly this morning. I have more to say than I can say uh, from this hymn and from Psalm 91, but, but I want you to know this as we prepare, as we enter this. This is kind of a heavy talk. This is a serious talk. Uh, it's a hard talk to give at 9 a.m. and when it's hot and uncomfortable. But this is a talk that you and I need to remember. And this is a psalm that you and I need to remember because it is a psalm of comfort and it's a psalm of confidence. And there's beautiful truth here that I hope we'll all remember together. Give your attention to the first six verses of Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. 
His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Let's pray that God would help us rightly understand these words and apply these words when we need them most. Let's pray. Lord, would you be our teacher this morning? Would you overcome heat and discomfort and background noises? And would you hide your word and its promises in our hearts that we might have those truths when we need them most? We ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may have heard in the news last week, as I did, a terrible story. One of those stories where suddenly a family is, is blindsided by bad news. The story was in the state of Texas. I think it was a week ago yesterday. The Reverend John Powell, 38 years old, married happily with four children, stopped in the highway to help a stranded motorist, and then he himself was hit by a semi-truck and was killed, leaving behind a widow and four young children. Terrible story. Heart-wrenching story. And stories like these are not unusual. They're not unusual for God's people they're not unusual for the church. As a matter of fact, yesterday in our presbytery meeting, we heard of the sad news of an associate pastor in our presbytery at Second Presbyterian Church, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Went, young man, wife, several young children, who in June suddenly had a stroke. He's now paralyzed. He can't speak. We're praying as a presbytery that he may walk again and that he may speak again, but the blood clot is inoperable. And so the news is devastating. Again, for a pastor, his wife, their young children, and the church family. What sense do we make of this when we read Psalm 91 and it says, if the Lord is our God, it seems to say we will escape all hardship, trouble, and fear. Nothing will come close to our tent. Or is that actually what the psalm says? Have we misunderstood the promise? Charles Spurgeon said of this hymn, There is not a more cheering psalm. There is not a more cheering psalm. Now, how could this be such a cheering psalm if it doesn't say what it sounds like it says? That somehow by being Christians, we get an escape from all suffering card, right? A quick reading of Psalm 91 makes it sound like, hey, there's not going to be any sweat off my brow in the Christian life. Hardship's going to fall on everybody else's household and not mine. But again, I think you'll see that that is not what this psalm says that will become more clear in the conclusion. I do have several points to make. I'm going to work swiftly through this. This is a psalm we can revisit again because it's so rich. 
But let's work together quickly to try to capture what is the real promise here and is it good news that you can hide in your heart and sing to the Lord? First point is this. What does the psalmist say we are to do? Verse 1. In my words, he says, Stay near to the Lord. Stay near Him. That's what those words really mean when it says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That is saying stay near to Him. Dwell with the Lord. And if you're with Him, you'll be in His shadow. You can look around. Right now, you are seeking shadows. You are seeking shade. And in order to do that, some of you have to sit very closely together. Children have to sit in laps to be under tents. Children will run to your lap to get in your shade and let you take the heat of the sun so that they can sit in your lap. That's what the psalmist is saying. Dwell with the Lord. Be near to Him and you will be in His shade. Dwell in His shelter. Rest in His shadow. And if you do that, if you're near to Him, He will be your refuge and fortress, it says in verse 2. Refuge and fortress. Biblical words that come up all the time giving an image of the Lord being our strength. The Lord being our rest. And so the application of this actually is quite simple. It is, don't drift. Don't walk away. Stay near to the Lord in His presence. Now how do you do that? Does that mean we should all come up to the church building during the week and just spend as much time up here as we can? Maybe walk around in the parking lot, get inside if you can. Is that dwelling with the Lord? No, it's being near Him and His people, near His Word and near His Spirit. To be near the Lord and what He has given His people, which is His Word and His Spirit. We don't drift. We don't wander. We don't just visit for a short time with the Lord, we're to dwell with Him. We're to live with Him. We're to lounge with Him. We're to linger with Him. Take off your shoes and stay a while in the presence of the Lord. It's not popping in for a quick visit on Sunday morning and popping out. It's that the Lord's Word, His Gospel truth would be in you, of you, around you throughout your life, throughout your week. Now, why would we do that? Verse 3 says, because He will save you. He will save you. Interestingly, did you remember, or do you remember, that when Jesus was taken into the wilderness and tempted by Satan, Luke 4, Matthew 4, Satan and his temptation of Jesus, do you remember that he quotes Scripture to try to tempt Jesus? He says, throw yourself from here, because the scripture says you will not, the Lord will not allow you to strike your foot against a stone. You remember that passage? Do you know where he's quoting that from? Psalm 91. You see, Satan is wily. He's a schemer. And he takes even God's words and tries to misapply them. Which is what many have done with the promises in this Psalm. They've misunderstood and not rightly applied. But what does he say? 
He says that we will be saved, we will be spared harm from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. Two important images he gives us. What is the fowler's snare? Well, actually, it's, it's like a net used to trap birds. And the imagery that these people would have understood when they heard it is that the fowler, the one trying to hunt the birds, the fowl, would secretly hide a net, maybe in a tree, and then use some attractive bait on the net. And when the birds would come attracted to the seeds or to the fruit or whatever the attractive bait may be, then the hidden trap is suddenly snatched and the bird is captured. And the psalm writer is saying, the Lord will protect you from the evil one when he seeks to use attractive bait to trap you in sin and in your life. And then he says, from deadly pestilence. The Lord will save you from deadly pestilence, disease, sudden sickness, even death. Well, wait a minute. What sense does this make? Christians are dying from COVID-19. Some Christians are putting Psalm 91 in their yard as a reminder of this psalm and as if it's a declaration that sickness won't come to this household. But what we need to understand is that what Jesus is actually saying here is that he won't save us. What the Lord is saying here is he won't save us from experiencing these things. He will save us from these things undoing us and ultimately destroying us. We will experience them in this life, but they won't destroy us. They won't be our end because we belong to the Lord. The psalmist says that he will cover us with his feathers in verse 4. He will cover, cover us with his feathers and under his wings we'll find refuge. Now this is imagery of birds again. Common understanding to these people. And as I've gotten a little bit older I've found I've become more and more like my grandfather who has long been since deceased. But he loved birds. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was a little boy, I remember he went out and sat in a field with an old microphone, and he would listen to the birds, and then he would identify them on tape, and he would say, "This, listen to this, this is this kind of bird, and this is this kind of bird. Well, my experience with birds in the last few years has evolved and changed. I, I guess I'm becoming my grandfather in some ways. But we have barn swallows that have taken up nest in our carport. And for the first few years, I was so frustrated with those birds because they poop everywhere in our carport and in our vehicles. And some of you are having this experience too. And I would get the water hose and I would shoot that clay nest down and try to clean it all out and scare the birds away. And when that didn't work, I would put things in their nest to try to make them leave and just go away because they were ruining my carport. But then strangely, I decided to research the bird, the barn swallow. And I learned about their migratory practices to South America. And that they return annually and come back to their nest that they had built the previous year. And I suddenly realized 
these birds who I'm hassling fly to South America and come back to due west to live in my garage. And I'm tearing down their nests. Well, that's not a very good thing to do. So I now welcome these birds and I clean up their poop because my relationship with them has changed. Birds and creation, the Lord uses these things to teach us a lesson, even to soften our hearts. And the Lord says that he is like that mama bird that defends the chicks, the babies. And these barn swallows have, have shown me something about busy motherhood. And, and they actually have, the, the dad lives there as well. Uh, they're not necessarily monogamous, I learned in my studies, but they do stay together in the same nest. But these birds will aggressively attack any cat that walks by, other birds that come nearby. They will swoop at you. They will attack you because they are protecting their little ones. And the image that the psalm writer uses is a, a soft image of feathers covering chicks from the heat of sun, from wind. But then he ramps it up and says, The Lord gives his people a shield and a rampart. These are strong pieces of armor to protect God's people. And the Lord says he covers his people in this way. Jesus used the same image in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. You might remember this. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, people of God. I have longed to gather you as a hen does its chicks, but you would not have it. You did not want me. You did not want my protection. And it's the image of a heartbroken Jesus saying, I am all that you need, spreading out his wings to cover you. But they would not have it. And so instead, he would spread his wings for them and die on a cross some days later. And that's the nature of God, the, the love of a father. And he's communicating through the psalm writer, just as Jesus did, a tender love for his people. But listen to what else Jesus says. The psalm writer says, so don't be afraid by day or by night. And he uses these images, which would be horrible, fearful images for these people, of being attacked with arrows by day, of sudden disaster coming at night. And he, he says, from pole to pole, whether by day or by night, the Lord will be with you and he will protect you. So what kind of protection is this? Going back to our ultimate question. Does this mean that we will not experience hardship, suffering, and disease? Well, here's a passage from Jesus that helps us understand this. Listen to what he says to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. And see if this doesn't make sense with Psalm 91. He tells his disciples, You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Now here it is. But not a hair of your head will perish. What sense does that make? He just said they'll be hated, they'll be persecuted, some of you will die, but not a head of your hair will perish. You see, he's saying two different things. He's saying there is an 
earthly suffering and an eternal suffering. There is a bodily suffering and a soul suffering. There is a temporal, earthly suffering and one that is of another world and another life. And Jesus says, when these things happen to you in your flesh, don't be afraid because they can never touch and affect what I will do with you for eternity. And so you have to have a body-soul distinction in understanding these promises of the psalmist, which are the promises of the Lord, and those very words of Jesus where he told his disciples, some of you will die, but not a hair of your head will perish. And so really the promise of this psalm is not that you will be saved from having these calamities, but that you will be saved from perishing from these calamities, ultimately, eternally. You will not be harmed. That can honestly be said to the believer in Christ. Not that you will escape having suffering, but that the suffering will not overcome you. It will not overwhelm you because of your faith. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 14. I love this passage. For years, every time I got on an airplane, right as we were taking off, these would be the words of Scripture I always quoted. He says, If we live... We live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. And so whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. The conclusion is the same. And it's that same body-soul distinction. It understands that there is a temporary shortness in this life and there is an eternity that matters, which is what the Scriptures are always concerned with. Psalm 91 is a beautiful truth. It's one you and I should memorize. It's one you and I, as we face the fears of this life, God's given us this psalm for our ultimate comfort and for our confidence that we may trust Him when the earthly things are hard. We're reminded of the heavenly things that are unshakable. Our hymn this morning is, is one that touches me. It's, it's sweet to me and it's personal to me for, for one reason. Uh, really one main reason, and I'm going to close with this and then with one, one quote. In 2006, a colleague of mine in Reformed University Fellowship, RUF, was the campus minister at Texas Christian University. And uh, some of you will remember this story because he transferred from Texas Christian to come be the campus minister at Furman University in 2006. When he came, I was excited to have him, and that fall, uh, in October, I had him come preach in chapel at Erskine. And he had just been in, in Greenville for a few weeks, did a great job preaching to our students at Erskine College. We went to lunch, and I asked him, I said, well, how's the move? How are things from Texas to Greenville? And I'll always remember his saying, oh, it's great. We're glad to have cool weather. He said, it's, it's not really even cool yet. We're in late September, early October. But we, we have fireplace logs for the first time in a home. And so we turned those on and sat in front of them and, and sweated last week just because we were excited to have a fire and to, to wish for the fall. Well, about two weeks after that event and that conversation, Dustin, who is a big man, 6'5", 6'6", uh, he bought some bikes for the family so they could ride around their new neighborhood. 
and he had a new bike, and they went out, and they were biking through the neighborhood, and somehow Dustin suddenly squeezed the brakes on this new bike, and those front wheels stuck, and Dustin wasn't wearing a helmet. And that big six-foot-five tall frame spilled over on his bicycle, came down on his head on concrete. He would be airlifted out in front of his children, seeking the refuge of medical care in a hospital. Months would pass. Dustin would be in a coma. People praying for him. Churches praying for him. Lord, deliver this family. Spare this woman, her husband. Spare these four children, their father. And then we got this update from his wife in the middle of all that happening. And I'll share this with you. This was an email she sent out publicly. This is back in 2007. At this point, Dustin had been in a coma for months. And she had moved back to Texas to be near family. And, and this is her email that she shared publicly. She says, Greetings from Texas. I'm amazed that even though time is marching on, we have not been forgotten. I know this because I get daily reminders from the website and letters of encouragement in the mail. I wish that I could respond to the many churches and individuals personally. Thank you all for your outpouring of love in the form of money, care packages, scripture, hymns, emails, CDs, and on and on. A mere thank you seems inadequate to express my gratitude. Then she says this, the boys are happy being with friends again, getting back into a routine of life. And then she says this, hymns have been the theme lately. One of my favorites is Jesus, lover of my soul. This is all I could sing those first days in the ICU. And it's the one that I sing most often when I need comfort. Sometime later, Dustin would eventually pass away, leaving a widow and these four children. And this hymn that she references, bringing her the most comfort, is the hymn that we'll sing and hear in just a moment. But I want to highlight the second stanza of it, which comes from Psalm 91. These are the words that bring that soon-to-be widow comfort and confidence. Other refuge? I have none. I helpless hang on thee. Leave, O, oh, leave me not alone. Support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head in the shadow of your wing. Powerful words, not just for a woman losing a husband, but a promise of God made to all of his people, whatever your suffering is, you are not alone. Stay near to the Lord. Trust in him. He will be your confidence. He will be your comfort. Ultimately and in the end, because in this life, nothing will overcome or undo the Christian. I close with these words of comfort from Heidelberg Catechism, question one. You may know this, be reminded and encouraged. 
If you don't know this, you're welcome. Here are words to bring you great comfort in your life. Words worthy of memorizing. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, and He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life, and He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live, and I would add, to die for Him. Let's pray. Lord, would you comfort your people with gospel truth? Would you help us understand the distinction between body and soul, temporal and eternal? And Lord, would you lift our hearts, those of us who are facing surgery, those fighting disease and sickness, those trying to recover, Lord, would Psalm 91 lift our hearts and give us that confident spirit that you have given your church. Lord, bless your people as we live in a broken world, as we struggle with sin. Remind us, Lord, of your strength and even use this hymn to hide that truth in our heart for when we need it most. We ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.